Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavour. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. A quick disclaimer before we start. Tear It Down is a podcast about all things mental health. Therefore, it may contain coarse language, adult themes, and subject matter that may be distressing to some listeners, such as suicide, self-harm, and references to drug and alcohol abuse. Please, listen at your own discretion. If you yourself are struggling, you can reach out to Lifeline on 13 1114. Hello and welcome back to Tear It Down. Tearing the stigma down of mental health, one conversation at a time. My name is Jamie Pulse and thank you for listening. I really appreciate all the support and the messages from the last two episodes. Keep that coming. And please, if you like this podcast and you listen on Apple Podcasts, please give the show a rating and review. I know you hear that a lot from other shows, but it really does help. Today's guest is Jeff Garland, and Jeff is a former police officer, a senior sergeant of New South Wales Police. And throughout his 16-year career, Jeff witnessed some horrendous things and was involved in some pretty dangerous and risky jobs, which resulted in him having a severe case of post-traumatic stress. He is now the author of a book called Split Second, My Experiences Behind the Thin Blue Line. Jeff is now fully recovered and is now helping others with post-traumatic stress and other mental health issues. So welcome to the show, Jeff. Thanks, Jamie. It's finally great to have this conversation with you. We've been planning it for a long time, but now it's finally happening, so... We have, mate. Yeah, and my apologies for that, but uh, life got in the way. Okay, and okay. That's it. Life happens for sure. Yeah. So, mate, the whole the whole purpose of this show is just to show people that you can have a mental illness or a mental health issue. It doesn't have to be a diagnosis. It could just be, you know, a burnout or whatever. You can reach out. Essentially, everybody will go through some sort of mental health. You know, maybe it's not you, but it's your brother or your sister. And it's just tearing the stigma down because, you know, even, even I have suffered, you know, mental health, but it is, it is daunting reaching out and telling people and admitting that you're weak or not weak, but you've got issues. You're not so, coping, yes. Yeah. So, Jeff, what's, you know, without spoiling it by me rambling on, what's your story with, uh, with mental health? So, for me, I, first of all, I absolutely agree with what you say, like, there is a stigma around like mental health, not just post-traumatic stress and depression, but any t- any form of mental health. Uh, we all believe that it's weak to speak. We can't reach out, especially if you're a guy. Um, but this this mass for me is not supposed to show they're affected by what they what they're going through. But life happens, and we all experience trauma in our past and, and stress in our life, our relationships, and our work, and it's part of it. But if we're not encouraged to speak and reach out, then that is going to stay with us, and it's going to affect us unless we do something about it. And, and, mental health is actually a positive thing because it's actually your body saying to you that you're out of alignment, something's going on, you need to focus on you and do certain things to make you feel better. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, my background, I'm a said retired senior sergeant. I served 16 years in the New South Wales Police 
before I was medically discharged from post-traumatic stress back in 2011. Um, I lost my job. I lost my identity, I thought, and I became suicidal. But I was able to reframe myself. I was first diagnosed back in 2001 when I jumped in the Travis Stalute in Redfern. <laughs> really good idea at the time, but um, I knew I wasn't coping before then. I just didn't know why. I just thought I was weak. I was in the wrong job. And I shouldn't be a policeman, but good luck. There was no education or awareness about post-traumatic stress. So um, I knew something was going on, but it wasn't until I jumped in the tray of the ute and went, that's it, I can't do it anymore. I took time off. I went and got help. I didn't want to let this stigma, uh, this condition uh, define me. So I, I did the unpoliced-like and unblock-like thing and went and got help. I was able to return to work for another 10 years before I was discharged. And because I lost my career, I wasn't a policeman anymore. I had a serious back injury as well. Um, but I didn't know who it was. I lost my identity, so I became suicidal. But then I did what I had to do. I did what I did before, and, and now I'm fully recovered. I love life, and I've got a new perspective on mental health, especially post-traumatic stress in emergency services. Um, we all get told that you know, it's it's something you have to learn to live with. It's like a, a life sentence, but it's not that. If I can get through it, then basically so can anybody else. Well, that's fantastic, Jeff. And also, before I forget, thanks for your service, mate. Um, as thank you for yours officer. too. Oh, mate, no. And and let's go back to that incident you're talking about in Redfern, uh, jumping on the tray. Because I, I noticed when I was looking at your website that you know, or and when I've heard you, you know, on Facebook and stuff, that that was quite significant for you. What what actually happened in that? And let's take the listeners on a bit of a journey with that experience. Yep. So, as I said, like before that day, just uh, 30th of July 2001, I knew things weren't right. I just didn't know what. I got involved in a lot of serious incidents at work. I was taking more risks. It was sort of like I'd gotten through it. I've survived it. What else can I do? Um, on the way to work that day, I just had a feeling that it wasn't going to be a good day. Um, and then I went down to the Redfern Railway Station around the block uh, with a junior probationary constable. And we were just driving around the area and I saw the ute in the, the Everly Street area and I had a feeling that it was stolen. Um, I did a check on it and, yes, it was. I could have just simply recovered the vehicle, had it towed away, but I thought, no, I want to get someone in this vehicle. Short time later, he's come around the corner. We've boxed him in. I've come around the side of the back of the police car, stood at his driver's window and said, mate, stop, you're under arrest. Next thing I know, there's like a block, a blackout of like 10 seconds. I'm in the tray of the ute, um, driving down the road with my portable, my poor probation constable partner just standing there going, what do I do? But luckily I had my portable, so I called you know, Redfern 45 Urgent. Um, I'm in the tray of a Stellan ute. Even the, um, the radio operator had to confirm whether I was pursuing it, but I clarified I was actually in the ute and the journey went from there. So it was one of the most terrifying moments of my life. The day that I thought I was going to die, I didn't want to be a policeman anymore. And it's something that, that was my last day in Redfern. Wow. You went and got help and you, you kept going for another 10 years, was it? Yeah, I went, I went, I went off and I got help because I knew because of the other events I've been involved in that something wasn't right. So I went and I went and saw a psychologist and psychiatrist and I used NLP, which is neuro-linguistic programming, about changing the meaning and the association of the events. And that's basically what I used to recover. So they would return to work. Um, and serve another 10 years, promoted to senior sergeant, got my law degree, I broke three world records. I, I had a quality of life, even though I had been diagnosed with this. Post-traumatic stress, it's not a disorder, it's not a definition, it's a diagnosis. It's your body saying to you that you've experienced something traumatic, you need to stop and do something about it. Yeah, It's completely natural that uh, based on what you've been involved, it'd be more of a concern if you weren't affected by what you're seeing. Yeah. But because of the lack of education, awareness and the culture in the, in the police, 
emergency services, military, the fact you can't talk about it, that makes people turn to alcohol, not talk about it, when pretty much everyone in the police force has some form of post-traumatic stress based on what they've gone in. Some hide it, some ignore it, some uh, just aren't aware of what it is. Exactly. Like when I joined the academy, they said to me, like, everyone's got a bucket and you don't know how full it is, you don't know where it starts or how big your bucket is. But every job you go to, every scene you attend, you'll be putting something in that bucket and one day it'll overflow or it could overflow. depends on your situation and your personality and everything like that. Do you think that's something that's, that's true? Would that be true to you? Uh, well, that, that was never said to me at the academy um, mm. way, way back when, but it's true to an extent. Yes, you're going to experience stuff in your career that's going to affect you, and that's what should be taught at the academy and through your, your policing or emergency services or military career. You're going to see stuff that's affect you, mm. and it's okay, and here's what to do. Here's the signs and symptoms. Here's the treatment, stuff like that. But before you go into the police, you've already got all the trauma from your past, from growing up home, things yeah. at school, relationships. You've already got that bucket half full or near overflowing anyway before mm. you go there, and then you get into a situation where you're involved in events at work that just compounds on top of everything else mm. and certain things will trigger you and you react based on those experiences. So, yes, we've all definitely got some form of bucket, sorry, bucket, which we fill. It's our job to empty that, to unfill that and to deal with it. And, again, that's all based on our past experiences, our personality, our coping strategy, our networks and stuff like that. So, yes, I agree. So what were you experiencing? What kind of symptoms were you getting like when you realised something wasn't quite right? So for me, the biggest things were things like avoidance, like I wouldn't go and do certain things or I'd go to somewhere and I'd be triggered by a past event. Like it was like having flashbacks, and which is just like reliving the event over and over again. I had severe hypervigilance, so I was always on alert, always looking out for, for dangers, places to get out of there and make sure that I was okay mood swings uh, or just really withdrawing from from life in general and just not living. I was just locking myself away because there was just too much um, too much trauma. I mean, I was married to a, a police officer at the time, so I had triggers around uniforms, around police cars, badges and stuff like that. So I was living with um, someone who was in, who was um, holding those triggers. Um, mm. But it was just, there's, like, there's so many different symptoms that people can have. And as I said, you, you don't have to be diagnosed in order to reach out for help. Um, but if you, they, people think, okay, I've been diagnosed, I know what it is. But if you're not coping, regardless of what it is you've, you've, you've gone through or what you've been diagnosed with or could be diagnosed with, just reach out and do what's best for you. Just listen to your body. Exactly. Were you self-medicating at all? I, I was. I never used to drink before I joined the job. Um, I did to join in because I was you know, 21, had, had blonde streaked hair back then. Yeah. Um, and I went, Redfern was my basically my second station. Um, very much I sort of placed. So I drank to fit in. And then eventually after all the events started compiling up, I started to drink to cope. And I was using alcohol just to, to switch off to, to, to numb how I was feeling. Um, but then I was able to stop that. I didn't drink alcohol for uh, about six years until I met my fiance. But that was <laughs> I'm more of a positive association because yeah, you know, I could enjoy a glass of wine over a, a dinner and stuff like that once a week, once a month, something like that. So my association to alcohol is no longer I need it to cope. It's for more of an enjoyment um, than anything else. What other sorts of situations were you in in the place that that you can share with us that definitely contributed to post traumatic stress? I'm an open book because, because of the fact that I've processed every event in my past, especially in my policing career, I can talk about all my events in detail. It doesn't affect me. I can visit locations and things like that. So I've actually written a book about my experiences, which was never meant to be a book. It was just me acknowledging the fact, okay, I'm not coping and I can start writing down because when you're writing things down, you're processing things. So it allowed me to get things out of my head and also to look at it from a different perspective. 
So for me, there was a number of incidents. Um, there was the one, obviously, the one with um, the ute. There was ones where I chased an offender up early lane um, and, and was armed with a knife. I grabbed him one on one, and then I got grabbed from behind in Everly Street. He started punching me, holding the knife. I arrested the black market murderers. Uh, I had numerous foot pursuits and car pursuits. I had arrested with an offender on the cliff face up here in the Central Coast. I was almost drowning in the entrance channel while trying to save someone's life. Lots and lots of events. That was just part of my policing career. And you know, But that's still something I'm very grateful for. I'm grateful for all those experiences I was involved in because now I can use my experiences to help others. So you nearly drowned trying to save somebody or you did save somebody? We had a call that it was a possible drink driver. So I went up to the location here at the entrance. This was back in 2009. Um, and the young bloke got out of the car, ran off. He could have... Um, He's running towards the bridge. He could have easily run left in towards the houses, but he decided to jump in the entrance channel. Um, it was 10 o'clock at night in April. It was freezing cold. Little did I know that they'd just dredged the, the channel a few weeks beforehand, so it was really deep. So I jumped in. had no idea. just thought he was a young bloke drink driving. I jumped in to try and save him because um, he was going underwater. It was really hard to see. And I it went in to see him in my full police uniform. Um, eventually got to him. Um, and then when I got him, he was out calling out for help. I went to get him and his head butted me and held me underwater. Uh, he tried to drown me because he, he was trying to get away. I had no idea who he was. Um, I eventually made able to restrain him and then get him back to uh, a little um, sand, like a little sand dune under the water, so on my tippy toes and that sort of stuff. And um, very emotional time. I was freezing cold. He was trying. He was still trying to headbutt me and everything else. And so I was like, mate, mate, just please just calm down. I'm trying to save you. I'm scared too. And there's a caravan park on the far side of the at the channel, I'm going, help, help, I'm a policeman, I need help. And they're going, I swear, F off sort of thing. Like that, No one would come and help me until some other police actually um, commented a boat and come and got us and um, took us. I was in the water for about half an hour. I had severe hypothermia. I should have died just from the hypothermia. Um, right. Didn't realise till later that he was a high-risk offender. He was in a stolen car, just burnt down a house, but in a hot car. Like, he was just a, a, a terrible person. But it was someone I was trying to do. I was trying to save him while I was... Um, doing my job regardless of who he was he was someone that needed help and he tried to kill me in the process and so when you finish that shift do you get debriefed or do you just go home and business as usual well that shift i, I went to hospital and was, was taken home there was no real debrief in terms of what happened sort of thing i think they pretty much just expected that from me yeah. <laughs> and how i did my career and stuff like that but within the police especially back then there was no real debrief as to what happened right. um my debrief after pretty much the incident with the Ute was you know, when you said to my wife at the time, when you're finished with him, send him to me, give me a go. That was my debrief I got as I walked out the police station with internal injuries and stuff like that and, and wasn't never coming back to Redfern. It's just not something that they did back then. Like The supervisors and that up on here in the Central Coast were very supportive in terms of you know, the things I was involved in. Um, so obviously immediately after I had a supervisor sit with me in, in, um, in the hospital at the time and they were very supportive. Um, and I, I, I reached out and I got help and I know the sergeants there, they were very supportive in terms of what I went through. Um, so, yeah, it was, it, it, I got the support that I needed, but it's not always the best way like it, it, in which it should be done. Were you a father at the time of all this or was...? I had, um, yes, I had three daughters at that stage. Wow. Actually, no, two daughters. The third one wasn't, wasn't born yet. Yeah, they had two at the time of that one on the drowning incident and my other daughter, she was more than a few years later, I think, or she was a little baby. So how is your family life coping or suffering as a result of what was going on with you? Um, well, my 
wife at the time, she was in the police actually working at the same station and she knew what I was like, all the stuff I'd been involved in. Like I was, she was very supportive, knew the stuff I'd been involved in. So obviously it was affecting me, it was affecting her, it was affecting our relationships and the kids. Like the kids didn't really understand. I was moody, I was withdrawn, I wasn't doing much and I was reacting based on my past experiences, which is natural. So it had a massive effect on, on me, on me and my, my marriage and my family. Hmm. And, how, and how low did you... Did you get? I know you said you were suicidal or had thoughts of it, but how low did you actually get? Very, very low. Numerous times. Like there was one night in particular that I was actually going to go and take my life. Mm. Um, I had it planned. I just dropped my daughters off and I was about to leave the driveway and my three-year-old daughter at the time, she actually came to the window right in front of me and she knocked on the window and said, Daddy, Daddy, please don't go. I, I don't know how she knew what was going through my head, but she, she wow. saved my life that day. Wow. I said, I, got, I snapped out. Went, I'm not doing this. I can't do this. I just, I've got to, I've got to be here and everything else. And haven't looked back since. That's incredible. Because, so because when we're suicidal, we make decisions in in that state that we're in. Yeah. In that state, yeah. I was, I was struggling. I was didn't know who it was. Had a serious back injury. It was affecting my marriage, my life. I just didn't think I wanted to be here anymore. But I've gotten through that, and my life is so much better because of the stuff I've been involved in, the things I've learned, and the things I've cleared out. So my message is to, regardless how bad things get, you can always find a way through. The show will return after this quick break. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. How long did it take you to start feeling some relief once you engaged in therapy? When I first went off in 2001, like I seeing both the psychologists and psychiatrists, they were great to talk to. It was then I started using my NLP. So I was off. Um, it took about six months because what I really needed to see was the, the CCTV footage of me in the ute. Once I got that, that allowed me to look at it in new perspective. Until then, I was, I was trapped in the tray of the ute, having the flashbacks about it. But I sat down and watched the video um, and I was no longer trapped in the ute. I was a bystander. So I changed my perspective and my view of what actually happened. So that released a lot. And then I went and I visited the other locations, the stuff I was involved in, and just it just changed the association. And when you change the association of things you're involved in, it changes the meaning and how you feel. And it didn't affect me. That's why I was able to return to work. And again, when I came back to work um, up here in the Central Coast, uh, involved in those incidents, I did the same sort of thing again. Eventually, I, I visited the locations. When I was drowning in the entrance channel, my, I had to actually drive across the bridge to get to work every day, and I couldn't do it. I'd sit in the far side of the bridge and I'd just be in tears or I'd get across the bridge and I'd sit out the front of the police station and I'd be in tears because mm. I was so affected by what I was, what I was involved in. And as, as a bloke, that's hard to do, but I just I knew it wasn't me. I, was, I just knew I just needed that support. Um, so when I was drowning in the channel, my flashbacks were my daughter's faces as I was drowning. So what I did is I took my kids back to the same location and a sunny day and took a photograph of them smiling in front of the bridge mm. and put that as my screensaver. So when I have a flashback about that incident, what happened is I was, be like I'm drowning and then straight to the more positive association of my kids smiling. Mm. And that eventually scratched that record, that memory of me actually, that the significance and the intensity of that, that memory it was more happy one. Mm-hmm. 
And also the fact the location changed. It was it was sunny, it was shallow, it was a happy day. So that, that all changed it. And I did that with all my other incidents. The one where the bloke tried to kill me when I, I wrestled with him on the cliff face, all that sort of stuff. I changed my association of all my incidents so it doesn't affect me. So now I can sit and do a Facebook live or video at those locations and talk about them and it doesn't affect me at all because they're just they're just events in the past now. So what what is NLP? What is NLP? So, so NLP is neuro-linguistic programming. It's all about um, how we communicate with ourselves. So neuro means brain, linguistic is language, programming is how our brain works. So the, use, the words we use to describe the experience become the experience. So, and it's never about the, the actual event. It's always about the meaning and emotion that we attach to the event. So if we can, when we experience something, we usually attach a negative, negative uh, meaning to it. So when we involve in these, these experiences in, in trauma and especially in our career, we attach a negative emotion and, a, and a, a meaning to it. But when we can change that meaning to a more positive one, then it changes the event, okay? We change the way we look at things, the things you look at change. So by changing our patterns of thoughts and the meaning and releasing the emotions around those events, it becomes an experience. So I was able to do that with all my experiences in, in my past. Wow. And it's very, so- very, it's very, very, very powerful. It's like, because when we have a flashback or a memory, what it is, it's like playing a CD about that event over and over again. But by changing the association and meaning of the event, it's like scratching the CD. So yeah. after a while, you can't play that memory, that CD anymore until it becomes a more positive association and then it doesn't affect you. Yeah, that's a good analogy, actually. I haven't heard that. That's good. Mm-hmm. And so now you actually practice that and you teach that and you also do hypnotherapy. Yep. What and else? Timeline therapy. Timeline yeah. therapy. So I do like NLP, hypnotherapy, and timeline therapy. Mm. I love timeline therapy. Um, it was actually introduced over in England to help the soldiers come back from war. And right. it's not like psychology or psychiatry. There's no going into detail. There's no reliving the event or being re-traumatised. It's just what's the event, what's the emotion, and then you can help that person clear out the, the trauma emotion by emotion. I can help people clear out anger and sadness in their past in less than an hour without going into detail. So it's not like months of therapy where you feel worse and have to talk about the event. It's just releasing emotions around an, around an event. Hmm. It's very. It's, I, I love it. Like I work with clients all around the world with it now, with like domestic violence, sexual abuse, um, loss of loved ones, uh, post-traumatic stress, depression, anxiety, relationship issues. It no matter what event you've been involved in, it is it, very very effective in terms of how it helps. So NLP, hypnotherapy, and timeline therapy is suitable for all of those conditions that you just mentioned. Yep. yep. NLP is about NLP is all about reframing the meaning. Timeline therapy is about releasing the emotion and beliefs. Hypnotherapy is about reprogramming the unconscious mind, and it's it's, it's especially um, effective because when we experience trauma, what happens is the unconscious mind goes, "What are we experiencing?" and "What are we feeling?" It puts a flag in that event. So when we're triggered by something in the future, we react with the emotion that we attach to that experience. Mm. So through timeline therapy, we're able to release the emotions around that event so it doesn't affect you. So there's nothing to be, re, um, to be triggered by. Yeah. So, what, so that's what hypnotherapy is, is. It's effective in itself, especially after you release the emotions around that event because it's not triggered by anything. So it's much easier to reprogram the mind when it's not triggered by things. Because people use alcohol, they smoke, they, they emotionally eat because of past events. So mm. hypnotherapy can certainly work in terms of assisting and reprogramming the mind for those but it's especially effective once you release the emotions around those events because it's not looking for a trigger when i'm stressed what do i do i smoke when i'm stressed what do i do i emotionally eat when i'm not coping what do i do i drink alcohol so it's very very effective in in in, in doing that okay and what's your goal now in in life so you've gone from a place obviously where you, you know you're serving and protecting what, what's your mission now my, my mission 
I'm a big believer that you go through things in life for a reason. Like I went through this um, to be able to get through it to actually support people. Like I've got my law degree. I could easily be earning good money doing that. <clears throat> but for me, it's about sharing my experiences to about making a difference. So what I really want to do is educate people and change the way they look at post-traumatic stress, provide education in the emergency services and let them know that they're not stuck. They can yeah. certainly get through it. You can certainly um, manage it and recover from it because it doesn't become post-traumatic stress until 30 days after the actual uh, event. Right. If you can get help in that first 30 days, it's just acute stress. But because of the fact that so many officers have so much trauma based on their past experiences, then it's, there's a lot there. But you can clear out their past trauma and then get them to a stage where they've got a clean slate. And then if they have future events, then you can actually get them help in the first 30 days. It won't become post-traumatic stress. The number of officers that are affected can be reduced and the level to which they're affected could also be reduced. It's about that education, that awareness, that support, that culture, because the culture is the biggest thing. It's not the events. It's actually the culture is the biggest problem. Well, and, yeah, I mean, police suicides all too common. Um, yeah. I had two. Much, much higher than normal suicide rates. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, in, in my time, two, two people I worked with committed suicide, which is, yeah, tragic. But it's it's really great to hear that you had that divine intervention from your three year old, you know, who who spoke those words to you, and yeah, I guess brought you back down to earth. And what what do you do now um, when you ever feel anxious or or whatever? What do you do now to help you through things? I'm still very human. Like I've cleared a lot of stuff out from my past and everything else. But there's days when I I, I run a business. I'm in a, a fairly new relationship. I've got kids and all that sort of stuff. So for me, it's about you know, acknowledging the fact that you know, things aren't right and making sure that I'm doing stuff to fill my cup. You mentioned a bucket before, but we also all have a cup. Mm. You know, we can't help anybody else if we're not helping ourselves. So I make sure I take time for myself. I exercise. I meditate. I love going to the beach uh, and just to ground myself. I read books. I do things that I enjoy. I reached out for help. I've got mates that I speak to. You know, when things aren't going well, I have a, I have a phone call or catch up with them. So, look, no, this is what's going on. And just have that conversation and just to reframe me in terms of where I'm in my life. Because sometimes it's hard to know what to do when you're in that problem. It's hard to see the frame when you're in the picture, my mate would say. So, I make sure I, I take time for me. I acknowledge the fact that, hey, I'm human. I'm not feeling right. My emotions are telling me that something's not right. And I make sure I take that time to do what I have to do to get me back into into kilter and in, into alignment with what I need to be doing. Well, that's yeah, that's amazing, Jeff. And you know, your courage just by speaking out like that and being so open and being able to help other people is inspiring. It's inspiring to me, you know, being someone who's suffered anxiety and depression in the past, you know, you being so open about all these things. You 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 skipped over all those incidents, but what people don't realize if if you aren't familiar with, you know, emergency services, but those incidents you spoke about really quickly are, are massive, you know, they're huge oh. things, you know, they're, yeah. they're, you could have been killed so many times or and your adrenaline's through the roof. It takes ages to come down from that. And you had mm. incident after incident after incident and um, yeah. that's not easy to deal with. And a lot of people don't experience that sort of trauma, like, like one of those events in their life. But in the emergency services, you do it. You, you face that possibility every day. Like I was at Redfern one of the, in the nineties when it was like really Redfern. I was involved in riots and all that sort of stuff. And like the yeah. very serious instance when there's no, there's certainly no support. You can't reach out and talk to people about it. So, and that's what like people in the emergency services are going through is the fact that they're experiencing this trauma. They're doing a superhuman job, but at the end of the day, they're just humans doing that job. 
Mm. Okay, they think that that's who they are. And a lot of people, when they discharge from the service, they don't know who they are anymore. They think that's their identity. And that's one thing I struggled with. I didn't know who it was, but I realised that I'm not my job. It's just what I did. Okay? Yeah. I'm not who I am because of the job that I did. I did the job I did because of who I am. Right. So now I can now use my experiences to help other people. I'm now helping people in another way. So mm. a lot of people are going, I don't know who I always wanted to be a policeman. I always thought I was going to be a policeman. So when I lost my job, I had a back injury, I just thought there's no point. Mm. But now I can use those experiences that I can now help people. I have lots of conversations with people just to, to see how they're going and just to, to help reframe them and then just say that I didn't know that and just to connect them with other people because people all think they that no one else understands, but there's so many people out there that are going through the same sort of thing, but there's, there's not that connections and not that conversation. They all think that they're stuck with it the rest of their life and you know, some specialists actually telling them that they're stuck with this, that they'll have to live with this for the rest of life and that's not the right message to get out. There's certainly hope. There's certainly things you can do. you just got to decide and reach out to the right people and do, do certain things and you can certainly change your life. Exactly. There's always, when there's life, there's hope. And, mm. yeah, thank you, Jeff. I really appreciate it. Is there any final message you'd like to say or words of encouragement to anyone who is going through what you went through before we sign off? Uh, just if anyone is struggling, if if you know someone who is, please just get them to reach out. Just know that what you're going through, it's, okay, it's not who you are, it's just how you are. And mm. it's a natural thing based on what you've gone through. So reach out, speak to someone. Now, the real way to get through something is to reach out. Like reaching out is not a sign of weakness. No. It's about putting yourself first. It's being courageous. Like the real masculine man is the, one, the person who, who stands up and goes, I'm not coping and I'm going to do what I can for myself and be an example for my kids and for everyone else. Mm. People are looking for inspiration, looking for someone who's gone through it. They're looking for someone with lived experience. So if you are struggling, if you know someone who is, have a conversation, reach out. That could be the most important conversation you have in the world. If the fact that I reached out is the reason I'm still alive today. Mm. So if you, it's please reach out to me, anyone else, but just reach out to someone. No, you're not alone. No, you're not defined by this. You can get through this. You just got to make that decision and put yourself first and do whatever you have to do. And I agree. And if anyone is interested, you can find Jeff at jeffgarland.com.au. Uh, he's also written a book and, um, yeah, he's, he's qualified in hypnotherapy, NLP, and time Yeah, yeah. There you go. <laughs> So, yeah, there's hope if there's life. And, yeah, thank you, Jeff. I really appreciate it, mate. And keep doing what you're doing. Like these sort of conversations are so important, the fact that you're putting yourself out there, having conversations, trying to change the stigma. Like we need people like you out there having that conversation, sharing your story, speaking to people to see, to give people different perspectives. Yeah. So keep doing what you're doing. It's a wonderful thing you're doing. Oh, thank you. It's like anything, though, you know, if, you, if you've got a broken back, you go to the doctor. So, you know, why, why don't you go to the doctor if you're not feeling right in the head? Yeah, because it's not a visible injury, people don't think. And, yeah. um, but we need to normalise that. We need to change the stigma. We need yeah. to change the conversation around mental health because everyone goes through it to some extent. Exactly. And to, and to base that person, hell, and they decide to stay with it. So we need to change that stigma, have that conversation, and just let, know, let people know it's okay to reach out. It's okay to not be okay. Exactly. Well, I really appreciate it, Jeff. Thanks for having me on. Thank you very much, mate. Thank you. So there you have it, Jeff Garland on PTSD. It really is inspiring that Jeff has been to the depths of darkness 
to what he is doing now, helping others with crippling PTSD and other issues. If you'd like to check out what Jeff does, you can visit jeffgarland.com.au and I will include that in the show notes. I appreciate you listening to this and if you do enjoy it, please share it with your family and your friends. Thank you. Tear It Down is a 610 Media production. A special thanks to Audio Technica and Zoom for supporting me throughout my podcast journey. The music for this show was produced by Bubba Beats. The cover art was done by my talented sister-in-law, Courtney Woods. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and rate and review Tear It Down on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Instagram, at 610 Media Group for Instagram, and at 610 Media on Facebook. And if you want to get in touch, you can head to 610mediagroup.com or send an email to info at 610mediagroup.com. That's S-I-X and the number 10. Thanks for listening and come back next Thursday for another episode of Tear It Down. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.